And uh, we're going to start with Acts chapter 15. And uh, we're looking at verses 14 to 18. Acts 15, 14 to 18. Now, does anybody know what's special about Acts chapter 15? You see, may I be bold to say that concerns me. Because Acts chapter 15 is one of the most important chapters in the New Testament for you as Gentiles. It's an absolute necessity to understand what chapter 15 is about. The chapter 15 council uh, was when there was a big, the big disagreement amongst the, uh, the Pharisaical sect who they'd become believers. And so they were saying that all Gentiles must be circumcised and must observe Torah. And so there was, a big, there was a big council about it, and there was much ado about it, because there was obviously a big, long, long, lots of conversations, etc. And, uh, and this, is, this is the context of this passage here. So going from verse 14 to 18, it said, Simon, has, as in Simon Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this, I'll return and rebuild David's fallen tabernacle or tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things. OK, so this is quite an interesting thing. Now, the conclusion of the Jerusalem Council, OK, because, you know, every every council's got to have a conclusion, right? This was it about should Gentiles get circumcised and observe Torah. Acts 15, 28 to 29, it says, for, now this is really important, underline this in your Bible, for it was considered by the Holy Spirit and by us to place no more burden upon the Gentiles except these necessary things, to abstain from meat offered to idols, uh, from blood and strangled animals and immorality, if you do these, you do well. Farewell. Okay? Now, for us as Gentiles, we don't really quite understand what's going on here. We just think that means, um, well, okay, I can't eat anything sacrificed to idols, which you might think is no big deal. Uh, you know, and so, okay, fair enough. Um, but that is an issue in today's culture, but best you don't ask. Uh, because Paul says, if, if, if someone has presented a meal before you, don't ask where it came from unless they say it was being offered to an idol and you're going to have to refuse it, okay? Um, so don't, you've know, got to abstain from blood. Any black pudding fans here today? Yes. I'm afraid you can't eat it. Um, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality, in other words, all kinds of uh, sexual relationships out of the side of the confines of heterosexual marriage. Now, you might think that's a really odd list of requirements. Well, it is to us as Gentiles, because we don't understand what, what we're looking at here. But if you were a Jewish person, you would know it was this. This is called the Noahide Laws. Now, this book, this is the biggest, the most detailed book in all of the world that you can get on this subject. Now, some of you are like, who cares, right? This, this, now, this is all rabbinical teaching, um, taught, and it's all from the Torah, which says what Gentiles are allowed to do and what Gentiles are not allowed to do. And so this list here comes from Genesis 9. 
And this is why it's called the Noahide Laws. Now, some might say, Chris, the Noahide Laws wasn't developed until the time of Mermenides, and that wasn't until 1300 uh, AD. I would then counter that by saying, yes, but we know that. But actually, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there was this thing called the Laws of the Gentiles. And so it was already a thing, and it already has been a thing, and it had been a thing for, for thousands of years. So this is nothing new. Uh, so Genesis 9, verses 3 to 7 and this is, this is after, well, I'll just take it from verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so they did. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Now listen to this. Every moving thing that is alive shall be for food for you. Everything. There's, there's, no, there's no specifics here, everything. So every moving thing that is alive shall be for food for you. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some things I personally wouldn't eat, um, but you know, everything that is alive, you can eat. And I give it all to you as I gave the green plants. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life. Um, that literally means an animal that's still alive. Okay, that is its blood. And, uh, and then, yeah, and, and then carrying on. Surely I'll require your lifeblood from every beast. I'll require it from every man, from every man's brother. I'll require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth and abundantly and multiply it. Now, what you probably aren't seeing here is that this is a, this is a pattern which all Gentiles must follow. They are allowed to eat anything. Uh, they're not allowed to eat flesh with blood in it, so you can't eat anything with blood in it. And also, then it has things about courts of justice. So how about if anyone commits a crime against a man, then there must be satisfaction. And, and so this is the very basics of the Noahide laws is a legal system, um, a system of what you can eat, what you can't eat, and you know you can't eat flesh with blood in it and stuff. So that is literally what's go what that is going on there. Now, most Christians aren't aware of that. Okay, that's really important. I'll come to me in a minute why. So, in that opening passage where it says, um, you know, about the restoring the tabernacle of David, it says, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. Okay, all the Gentiles who bear His name. Now, God doesn't. What God doesn't do is he doesn't call the Gentiles Jewish. Okay, because there is some stuff out there where if you become a Christian, you've become Jewish. You can only become Jewish through birth into the line, into a family line of Jews. Okay, that's why Abraham is the father of faith of the Gentiles, as well as being his children being Jewish, because Abraham wasn't a Jew. Abraham was a Gentile. So, he, so this shows in itself why, this is why Paul really labours this, that Paul is a great example, not Paul, Abraham's a great example of being, being one who's like a Gentile that's saved through faith, and then through his children, those saved, saved by faith, and then through his children, saved through faith. Okay, this is what he talks about, which is to do with being born as a Jew. That doesn't mean you get born saved, but he means that through that, then you, you're born into that kind of line of, of faith, so to speak. Okay, so... That's a little bit there that I just want to put out there. We'll come back to that in a minute. Now, the fallen tabernacle of David, okay, refers to two things. Now, this, if you go to Bible college, this is what they'll tell you. The first thing that it refers to is the dynasty of David. So David was a king. And as you know, he had a son. Well, he had lots of sons, actually, because he had lots of wives. And then, he had, uh, and then his son Solomon came and ruled. And Solomon had even more wives and even more kids. Uh, but then one of Solomon's kids came to power. 
he was a bad king and then God ripped the kingdom in half so then you end, a lot of Israel moved to the north and you had the northern tribes and then you have the southern tribes in Judah. So Israel was the northern ten tribes and Judah was the southern two tribes which was Benjamin and Judah Okay, and all the other rest were in the north. All the kings that are nasty in your Bible, 99% of the, well all of them were from up north. Okay. And there was a lot of bad ones in the south as well, but some of the south ones were good because they still had the temple. But if there's no temple, they were into idolatry, etc. And they were in the north. Okay, what on earth am I talking about? Yes, yeah, so that's the first thing. So, so David's David's dynasty collapsed. There was no further kings of Israel, etc. After a while, it eventually died out because uh, we have the dispersion and all that. You have the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. There's still no king, and so. It's a messianic prophecy that God will restore the dynasty of David, okay, which was fulfilled through Christ. So Christ is the fulfillment of the Second Samuel 7 prophecy where one who'd come through David and he would, he would rule and his reign would endure forever. Means he is immortal and he's eternal, okay? So that was fulfilled by Jesus. But the restoration of a tabernacle of David also means this. And you're like, well, what's that then, Chris? So we're going to have a little look at this because this is fascinating. I'm going to take you through what this means and what this means to us as well. Now, I need to say this. I don't know if you're aware of this, but during the days of the tabernacle of David. Okay, now let me just wind this back a bit. Everyone knows the tabernacle of Moses? All right. Okay. So this thing cropped up when David was king. Um, and this thing ran for between 30 to 40 years whilst the tabernacle of David, I mean, of, of Moses, was running down the road. And eventually that was closed and then Solomon's temple superseded all of these things, okay? Now, what you're probably not aware of, that up until that time, praise and worship was not a thing. It wasn't a thing. They still did a bit of praise and worship, but it was kind of just a bit here and a bit there. But what David did is he, he basically got all of these people and he said, on all these priests, said, right, you guys, you're going to, and he put them into organizational groups, said, you guys are going to do it this month, you're going to do it that month, and we're going to praise the Lord before the, before the Ark of the Covenant 24-7. And he did it for 30 years, okay? And he wrote psalms and hymns and all sorts of stuff. So literally, people were praising and worshiping. Then when he passed over his, his reign to his son, that that system that he then ran then was incorporated into Solomon's temple. So up until the time of David, all of that praise and worship stuff wasn't around. Okay, that's quite phenomenal. And all of these things, you might think, well, how did David get away with it? Because it says that Samuel instruct, the prophet Samuel instructed David in what to do. So there's some stuff going on there, which is fascinating, that if you read it and start really reading it, First Chronicles and stuff like that, it's like, wow. What is going on here? I know some of you are like, is, it, is this supposed to be exciting? I, I don't know. But just, just bear with me. It's, it, it, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. So one of the things that's really exciting is that David's tent, and we'll look at this in a minute, allowed Gentiles to come near to God in a way that was never before allowed or considered. Okay. Now, all this is a type and a shadow of what you and I are now living in. Now, this is really important, so just, just hold these things to the back. Right, so let's look at some prophecies referring to the Gentiles. I know you're already saved and you know that you're saved, but it's good to know some scriptures to let you know that you're saved. Amen? Okay, so I'm going to look at Galatians 3, verses 13 to 14. Galatians 3, 13 to 14. Like I said, this isn't a sermon today. This is teaching, all right? So uh, please bear with me. Uh, so 13 to 14, Galatians 3. 
And it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the Torah, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Hallelujah. So we get the blessing of Abraham. Now, some of that won't go to you because some of it's referring to the people of Israel and to their land. But things like where God says to Abraham, those that bless you, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will curse. That's your blessing. That's, that's on you. It's not just for the Jewish people. That blessing of Abraham is on everyone here. How do I know that? Because it just told me so in the scripture. Okay, it's, it's quite clear. It's in the scriptures. Okay, now let's go to Genesis chapter 12. This is when um, Abraham was called to leave home. Uh, verses 1 to 3. And it says, now, now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. Father's house. The guy was 75, right? If my kids were in my house at 75, I'd have kicked them out a long time before then, personally. But anyway, sometimes it does take the hand of God, right? So it says, uh, from your father's house, leave to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will also bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God always had a plan for the Gentiles, right back in the beginning of the Bible. God wanted to set up his own holy people through which the Messiah would come, but he always had a plan for the Gentiles. Always. Okay? Amen. Let's turn back to Galatians again. I know there's lots of scripts and I know you're really hot, but you're just going to have to, you're going to have to do it. So Galatians 3 verses 7 to 8. And it says, therefore, be sure it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So Abraham had the gospel preached to him. All right. That's what it says. Paul said it, not me. Saying... All nations, or Hebrew, all goyim, or Greek, ethnos, all the nations, all the Gentiles will be blessed in you. Okay, so this was always a plan from God. So why are Gentiles important today? Now, there is often confusion about where we stand, especially um, the, the whole context of Jewish believers in Christ and Gentile believers in Christ. Now this might not be a problem for most of you, but I do come across this an awful lot, and it seems to be getting more and more prevalent as the years unfold. So some wrongly state that when we become Christians, we immediately become Jewish, okay? Yeah, I know some of you are like, oh, really? But, but, but they do. Um, however, we've already seen from Acts chapter 15 that actually there is a difference between the Jew and the Gentile, okay? So the Gentile do not have to be Torah observant, and they don't have to get circumcised, um, but we must all right, calm down at the back <laughs> so firstly you know in Revelation 21 and 22 it talks about in the new Jerusalem and the new heavens this is like way in the future when you've gone to heaven and God creates a new earth and a new heaven comes out it says that the glory of the nations comes into the new Jerusalem and then it says the tree of life is for the healing of the nations. If there are no nations, 
There, why is there a tree for healing of the nations? And why are these people bringing the glory of the nations in with them? You see, look, God loves this multicultural diversity in his kingdom. You, you go to an African church, and uh, I'm not, forgive my compartmentalizing people here, but you know what I'm getting at. So you go to an, a black African church, and they wear all this lovely, um, you know, just vivacious clothes and coloring and stuff. And they're really passionate and vivacious in their worship to the Lord Jesus. And then you come to an English church, and we're all stiff and up and lip to so we praise God. You know, and you go down the road and the Indians, their town, their tambourines, everything. So God loves that cultural diversity. He doesn't want everybody to be the same. He doesn't want uniformity. Amen. He wants there to be that difference. And so his plan was always to bring the Gentiles in. Uh, now, in 1 Corinthians 7, it says uh, from verses 17 to 18, Paul states this as a rule to all the churches. This is a rule we have in all the churches, he says. He says, you must remain as what you were when you were called. If you were circumcised, do not seek to be uncircumcised. And if you're uncircumcised, don't seek to be circumcised. You go, what does that mean, Chris? It means if you're Jewish, don't become a Gentile. And if you're a Gentile, don't become a Jew. Yeah. Right? It means stay as you are. That's what it's saying there. Hallelujah. Uh, Romans 11 verses 16 to 21 talks about the wild olive. We are the wild olive branches. Any, any wild olive branches in here? Hello. Okay, that's, that's me. And, and it says we've been grafted into the natural olive tree. But this is really interesting because if you graft a wild olive into a natural olive tree, guess what fruits the wild olive produces? Wild. wild. In other words, God wants Gentiles to bear Gentile fruit and he wants God's Jewish people to bear Jewish fruit. Okay, it's really quite simple. It's not, it's not difficult. Amen. Why is all this relevant? Some of you are thinking, who cares? Because we need to understand the premise, what's required as Gentiles, because there are many, and this has been a problem throughout all of church history, where Christians try to convert, well, actually, yeah, Christians, Gentile Christians, try to convert other Gentile Christians to become Jewish which is actually forbidden by scripture, it's forbidden by rabbinical Judaism, and it's forbidden by the writings of the early church fathers. It's just, it's just, but I need to say this, in, in balance to all this. As you know, I love the Torah. I love God's word and I love God's law. It has much to teach us. The Bible says that you should meditate on it daily. Uh, you know, you should pray it, live it, love it, whatever, sing it, whatever, it, whatever however floats your boat. And Paul says that the law is spiritual and it is holy. Okay, it's not bad, it's good. So it's just about getting that balance and that tension right in all of these things as well. Because I know people in this church that like to observe Sabbath and don't eat pork. And I don't have a problem with it. And I, I say, that's how you want to honour God. You do it. But, and, and you'll be blessed in doing that. But I also know that if as a Christian who... Um, won't eat meat on Fridays but only eats fish, God will also bless him. Well, but Chris, that's the religious traditions of man. That's not the commandments of God. Well, no, you're right, but not every tradition is bad. It's only the traditions of man that make the word of God of no effect that Jesus has a problem with. And so if your tradition is, I do this to honour God, God will see it as a kind of fast if you don't want to eat meat on a Friday, and God will bless you also. Okay, it's, it's really not hard. It's like I've got this um, financial, uh, what's it called? A financial prosperity Bible at home, right? I actually bought it for a joke thinking, what's this going to be like, right? It was by some prosperity Bible preacher guy. You're probably thinking, why do you even buy it? Because I was just really interested. I was intrigued. And the study notes are really good. And it's full of facts and stuff. Like, so for example, companies 
that in America that deliberately wouldn't open on a Sunday to give their, give their staff a day off, they did financially way better than companies that stayed open seven days a week. But you could say, oh, but Chris, it wasn't the true Sabbath. It doesn't matter. It's the principle of the principle that God is blessing them. You see what I'm saying? Hallelujah. So anyway, God wants to rebuild um, this tabernacle of David. So what I'm setting out here, I believe, is a blueprint for an end time church which rebuilds this fallen tabernacle of David. And it helps us to understand and reimagine what it means to be serving God as priests. Because that's something that we don't think about. We're not, we're not hardwired anymore to think like that. You know, we go, yeah, I'm the priesthood of believers. But actually, you want to be hardwired thinking every time that I pray, every time that I worship, every time that I, I do something as a sacrifice for Jesus, I am living my life as a priest unto God. It makes your life so much more meaningful and purposeful as opposed to this, what's my ministry? This, this, this meandering around looking for some kind of calling when actually you've already got a calling. You just need to get on with it. Hallelujah. That's a bit rude. I don't mean it like that. I mean, just, you know, you've just got, got something to get on with. Um, so we are priests. Now, the place of Gentiles and their relevance. Now, this is really interesting. Okay, So this is, this is the latest kind of research that's out there now. So if you go into your old Bible commentaries, we're going to look at about a guy now called Obed-Edom. Anyone heard of him? Now, most of your, most of your commentaries go, oh, yes, he's, he's from the priestly family, blah, 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 blah. But he's not true. And we're going to find out why. I'd like to give my wife the glory and the honor for this moment because she she found this out and then I took it on board and I claim it's mine so 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 yeah so all the or Tracy is the one that discovered this and then I looked into it as well and I was quite shocked so we got a guy he appears first of uh, your he's first mentioned in 2nd Samuel 6 10 now as you know the story David at one point tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem didn't he and it all went pear-shaped because he didn't do it as the as the law had said if you're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant in, it must be held aloft by the Levites and they have to carry it. But what he did is he got, I don't know how he got it on there, but they put the, the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart. And so this ox is moving into town and this ox cart's banging around. And it looks like uh, the, the, the Ark is about to fall off. And a poor guy called Uzzah, you know, bless his heart. He, he, you know, he, his heart was in the right place. He, he tried to touch that which he shouldn't have touched and boom, he's dead, all right? Let that be a lesson to all those people like, but my heart was in the right place. It's like sometimes it's, it doesn't matter how where your heart is. You don't want to touch certain things. You don't want to do certain things because you could end up dead. Hallelujah. So anyway, so not hallelujah, you're dead. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. So hallelujah, right? So Uzzah died. David was really offended and really upset. And then he, he drops the ark off at this guy's house, Obed-Edom. Now the question you have to ask is, Zadok, the priest, right? He lived down the road. So why didn't David drop it off at his house? Why did he drop it off at Obed-Eden's house? And who is this guy? So let's have a look at this guy, shall we? All right. Well, according to uh, 2 Samuel 6.10, Obed-Eden... You all right? Have I offended you? All right. Obed-Eden... Obed-Eden was a Gittite. Right? Now, uh, I'm sure many men in here have been called out from time to time. Okay, so he was a Gittite. Now, I don't know if you know your 12 tribes, but there ain't no tribe of Gittite, okay, in Israel. So, like, who is this guy? Well, there's another guy that was really famous who was a Gittite, and this is in 2 Samuel 21, 19. Do you want to bring that one up? 2 Samuel uh, 29, verse 19. 2 Samuel 21, 
19, sorry. Yeah. There was war with the Philistines, again at Gob. What a name. Where do you live? I live at Gob. It's like that other king's a king, isn't it, in like Leviticus. What's your name? Og. So, there was war with the Philistines, again at Gob, and Elhanan, the son of Jerah-Oragim, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So Obed-Edom was a Gittite, which meant he was a Philistine. He was a, he was a Gentile. Okay? Now, this is ridiculous. This is ludicrous. Why did God, well, sorry, why did David leave the Ark of the Covenant round someone's house who isn't a priest, who's not of the order of Levi, and quite clearly it's got nothing to do. I mean, I don't know if he was in the mood that day and he thought, well, the last time the Philistines had this thing, it didn't turn out too well for them, so they can get a bit of this Ark of the Covenant stuff because I'm done with this, right? So he left it there for three months. But then we have this really interesting thing that happened is that all of a sudden this, this Gentile guy, this Philistine, is getting blessed. He's getting blessed by God. I was like, well, how can this be? And in the, the report of it goes to David. David, you, you, you've got to check this out. This guy is so blessed. Now, I don't know about you, right? But for people like the nation to remark on an individual being blessed, I mean, I don't know what happened to that guy, but there must have been some cool stuff going on. I mean, you know, he must have suddenly had, I don't know, the Ferrari on his drive or something. I don't know what went on, but everyone knew that that guy was blessed. I don't, yeah, I know some people are getting, oh, you know, fast cars. I'm not sure about this. But this guy was really blessed. And so the news of it came to David. And that's why then David took it from his house and then tried again to bring it back to Jerusalem. But what's interesting about Obed-Edom is that his family then features, features really prominently. Uh, in fact, so what happened to Obed-Edom is he's then brought into the priestly system. Uh, it says that, um, so Obed-Edom, it, it was inducted into the service of the tabernacle and Solomon's temple that excuse, exclusively belonged to the Levites and 62 of his children were in the Levitical system. This is unbelievable. Now, some of you are like going, I don't care. No, you do need to care because this was not allowed. No Gentiles allowed in the service of God's temple. No way. If you did, boom, strange fire would come out and burn you up. I don't know. You don't want to do it. This was, this was just unbelievable. And I don't know how anybody in the day just, yeah, let's do that. You know, I just don't understand. There's so much going on here. I just find it exciting. Now, a lot of commentaries will go, no, Obed-Edom, he's a priest, but there's no evidence to suggest that at all. They're just taking the fact that he was in the priest system later on, but they're not taking the fact that earlier he was actually possibly a Philistine. Now, many strange things happened around the time of David's tabernacle. Firstly, the Ark of the Covenant must always be in the most holy place within the tabernacle of Moses which was down the road with Zadok the priest running it why was it not in there where did he get the idea from can I have my little picture back up again where did he get the idea from I know I'm just going to stick the Ark of the Covenant on a hill and uh, put a little tent around it everybody can see that and uh, we can just come and worship it 24 7 for the next 30 years all right we know where he got the idea from it says it came from Samuel the prophet what is going on here? Hallelujah. 
The ark was placed for all to see on Mount Zion. This was strictly forbidden by Torah. The only person that was really allowed to see it was the high priest uh, once a year. And the only other time you'd ever see the Ark of the Covenant was if it was being carried aloft somewhere or out to war. But other than that, you were not to see it. It was the presence of God, no way, banned. David, King David, I don't know if you know the story, he's running around with a linen ephod on. He's from the tribe of Judah, right? No one from the tribe of Judah is allowed to act as a priest and he's wearing a linen ephod. He's sacrificing animals every so many steps when he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant in. Where's Zadok? Where's the Levites? Well, they're all back there. But how did David get away from it? Because it is illegal according to the Torah. No person except the Levites can be a high priest. And here's David acting as a high priest. You're seeing a similar echo of this when Moses, because Moses was technically a high priest as well, and his brother Aaron was high priest. It's, it's some really weird stuff going on here. So David, I said, yes, so he's from that. Then David instituted a whole new structure of worship to God that never existed before. Okay, that was he was basically adding to Torah. Okay, now hope just bear all this stuff in mind because then when we're going to look at Jesus in a minute, you go, ah, uh, I get it. I see what's going on here. Gentiles. Okay, the sons of, uh, sons of Obed-Edom were appointed as gatekeepers and thus drew near to the living God. This was also absolutely forbidden by the Torah. Okay? Now, so the tabernacle of David is a glimpse of what is to come. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened in the temple? The veil was torn. Now, so obviously, a lot of people say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit came out of the room and God's not in a box anymore. He's now living in us. And yes, that's all true. But it's that. So that the Ark of the Covenant could be seen by the general, by the general people as well. Again, again, this was forbidden in Torah, but Jesus annulled that particular thing. Jesus, who is the Ark of the Covenant, died for all Jews and for Gentiles. And he is the sufficient sacrifice. Thus, he did away with the sacrificial system. The, God, sorry, the way to God was now open to all the Gentiles. And although Torah permitted Gentiles to come so close, but no further, now Gentiles through Christ can become priests. I talked to you about this a few weeks ago, about the priesthood of Melchizedek. Jesus was a high priest and he altered the Torah to make it so because Jesus can't be a high priest. Because he's of the order of, he's of the line of Judah, like King David was. But David went around with a linen ephod, and because he's a shadow and type of what Christ was going to do, where Jesus would be like, I'm now the high priest around here, and I'm going to amend the Torah to make it so. Where's that in the Bible, Chris? Well, it says so in Hebrews 7, verse 12. Let's have a quick look, shall we? Because there are some people that say that Jesus never amended the Torah. That is not true. If you read Hebrews, in fact, I'm just going to say this because it really annoys me. Now, most Hebrew roots Christians are well behaved, but there are some that aren't. And I, I got, I chucked it away in the end. I got a Hebrew roots Bible at home, okay, where they deleted the book of Hebrews. They said, we don't believe this is in the canon of scripture. It should never be there. How arrogant and presumptuous. The church spent a long time trying to, trying to figure out, you know, what would be the canon of scripture. And someone comes along, that disagrees with my theology. Out you go. Okay, because they don't like it. Because the fact that Hebrews is very clear. That Jesus is a better offering. That Jesus is a better priest. That Jesus amended the Torah. Jesus had to change things in the Torah. So anyone that says that Jesus didn't change the Torah are not right. Hebrews 7.12 says, For when the priesthood is changed, a necessity there takes place also a change of the Torah. 
So Jesus had to change the Torah to allow himself to become the high priest, to allow us all to become priests. I can see you're really excited by all this. Uh, <laughs> Jesus instituted a whole new way of doing things with the outpouring of his Father's Holy Spirit to all mankind. We have the fivefold ministry. All of us have the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Things that no one had ever had before. Like I said, when King David instituted a whole new system of worship, things that had never happened before. So what we're seeing in our tabernacle of David, just this little slither of time, 30, 40 years, just prior to the building of Solomon's temple and whilst it was being built, God was manifesting the new covenant for all to see. The Gentiles who should never come close were brought right into the courts of the living God, where priests who should, people who should never be priests, let alone high priest, became high priest. Where there was a system of worship that had never been done before was brought in. Hallelujah. Now, I mean, here's a mystery for you. You see, there's a, the prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks. It's a bit of a deep one. But Daniel's 70th week is the last seven years of Earth's history before Jesus returns. And so when Jesus died, Daniel's 69th week predicted to the very year when he would die, okay? Bang on, right on the nose, Jesus died. Then came something else, this kind of break in time. And this break in time now is the tabernacle of David. And so at the fullness of the times of the Gentiles, then all Israel will be saved. And this is why it's important that we understand that we are Gentiles, we are not Jewish. There are things that the Jews, the early church fathers, and scripture says you're allowed to do as Christians and not recommended to do as Christians. But whatever you do, you are free to observe anything you want, providing, and this works either way, that you don't become a terrorist with it. So what do I mean by that? Strong language. Um, so for example, I see things, normally it's, gonna, it's coming, it's coming. What, what, time, what, what month are we in now? September, moving towards, well, December. Okay, we're gonna get the usual round of those that celebrate Christmas are pagans and Easter is Ishtar. It isn't Ishtar, it's not Easter because it was always known as Pascha, which is Greek for Passover, duh. Okay, and the whole thing about Christmas, oh, that's pagan and all this kind of stuff. I've looked into it. The fact is that most people say it's to do with Roman worship, which came in around about 340 AD. The church, we've got early writings that go back to AD 200 and they're already celebrating a form of Christmas back then, okay? So it doesn't matter. And, but then you see, that's the, People say, oh, but Chris, that's the traditions of men. But then those in the Hebrew Roots movement will say, well, we don't celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Hanukkah. Well, hang on a minute. Is Hanukkah a biblically mandated feast in the Bible? No. Where did it come from? It's a feast that came out of two extra canonical books, First and Second Maccabee, Maccabees, okay, out of the Maccabean Revolt. There was a miracle. The oil in the temple lasted so many days when it should have only lasted one. And they said, hey guys, let's just turn this into a great celebration. Every year we're just going to turn this into a party. And of course then they'll go, oh yes, but Chris, in the New Testament, Jesus celebrated and observed that feast. Well, of course he did. And there's my argument. If it's okay for Jesus to observe a man-made feast and custom that honours God, why can't I observe Christmas, which is a feast to honour Jesus' birth in this world. Why can't I do it? Why am I being judged and condemned for being a Christian? Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Amen. All right. So the Bible says one man considers one day holy, another considers all day alike, but each must be convinced in his own mind. You are Gentiles. You have a freedom in Christ. We are at this point of time, and this is really significant because this precedes 
the temple of Solomon. And it's, that's, that's supposed to represent the millennial reign of Christ when the temple is rebuilt again. And I don't want to go there now because that will raise loads of questions. But when the temple is rebuilt. So we are Gentiles. Be proud of it. Be, be you know, somebody, I was thinking about this this morning. You know, sometimes we like, oh, I wish I was Jewish because they've got all that heritage. They've got, you know, they've got the law, they've got the prophets and stuff. And I was thinking about this this morning thinking, yes, that is true. But I, as a Gentile, I've got 2,000 years of heritage. Yeah, we've made a bit of a mess here, there and everywhere. But we have got some cool stuff. We have got some stuff. It's like, yeah, us Gentiles, we have contributed to this whole God thing in some way. I don't mean an arrogant way, but we have done something. We've got something that we can be proud of as Gentiles. We can stand shoulder to shoulder with our, our Jewish brothers and sisters who are one in the Lord with us. But we can say, look, we're Gentiles. You're Jews. We can come together. We can worship the true and living God. You don't need to be a Gentile. I don't need to be a Jew. Let's just worship God. And let's manifest the multifaceted glory of God in who we are as his saints in these days as we are awaiting the end time return of Christ to the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen.